Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast. I am Tara Bowen Biggs, joined as always by Blazer's outsider, Danny Meringue. Danny, how you holding up? Oh boy, it's been an interesting day, that's for sure. It's been a week, huh? Yeah, it's been, that's definitely, that's, yeah, that's. Blazers are currently five and 12. They've lost four in a row. As you said before we hopped on, they've won two games in the month of November, and this is the week of Thanksgiving. So <laughs> things are not going the oh, uh, way that was represented on Media Day. It doesn't appear that the Blazers are lasered in on a championship at this point. Not going to ever say that they are completely out, but we're at a point in the season where a lot of people have a lot of questions. So where do we start? That's a good question. Where where do we start? And I think the idea is, what is this team right now? And my thought is, I've seen some people who, I, I think that are more sympathetic to how you view every season, Tara, and that's hope beyond hope. And always look on the bright side and always believe that this team with Damian Lillard and Neil O'Shea and Terry Stotts, that core, that foundation will always find a way. But as much as I, I, I admire that, it's not something that I have. I, I, the basketball gods are cruel. And for all of those runs that the Blazers made, they, they didn't have crippling injuries. They, they didn't have a roster that was imbalanced and waiting on trades. They weren't trying to work in entirely new rosters. There were things that you could count on. Uh, CJ having a, a bad start to a season and coming to the fold. Oh, okay. You, you had consistency with Dame and even Aminu and Harkless and Nurkic that you could count on. Um, Dame rolling ankle, missing a couple games. CJ steps up to the four, as we've seen even in the last two games that Damian Lillard was out. CJ played marvelously. Um, Yusuf Nurkic being added to a team was what they were like 31 and 26. But guess what? That team was halfway into a season, had guys they were familiar with, and were five games above 500. And they closed it out down the stretch. This is a team that lost its starting power forward in the first week of the season, came into the season without their starting center. You had front court depth issues to begin with before any of these injuries. The guy that you brought in to be the stopgap at the four and five never stepped foot on the floor of the Blazers. And the hope for reinforcements is not legally available until December 15th of, of reinforcements that, that can legitimately make a difference. And at that point in time, how many games will the Blazers have played? Well, December, 26, or me, December 12th is game 26. 26 games, more than a quarter of the season is gone. And at that point in time, playing 500 ball or slightly above 500 ball is going to get you to 37, 38 wins on the season. That's, that's a hell of a hill to climb. And I think it, it, it forces at least me to reorient and reevaluate what expectations are for this season. So, I think that, uh, yes, I think this is a good time to reevaluate expectations. Got a couple things to just note. I think you've somewhat simplified my attitude 
um, about hope on this team because just, you know, having hope doesn't mean I have unrealistic expectations. No, 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 I'm, I'm not saying just you. I, I'm saying that, that, that I've seen people who are even beyond what you have. I think that, I think it's more sympathetic to, to, to what you believe as far as having hope and always hoping for the good things and, and, and really believing this team will figure things out. I'm, I'm not saying that you have unrealistic expectations. I, I think there's some people out there that, that do. Well, so one thing to think about, uh, you know, going back to last year when Yusuf Nurkic went down. When, when Yusuf Nurkic went down, that was it. I thought it was over. I thought that's it. The season is over. Next season is lost. And we'll just write it out as best we can. And like the Blazers always do they outperformed our expectations, expectations. Mm -hmm. like they always do. I come into every season with very low expectation. And this was the decision. This, this was the season for some reason I decided I was going to have high expectations. <laughs> I am never having high expectations again. I want to mm -hmm. tell everybody, I promise I will never have high expectations again because the one year that I came in with high expectations, everything <laughs> seems to have fallen off the rails. Now, that having been said, every time that we think that the Blazers are done, they are not done. So I don't think even you would say unequivocally slam the door shut at this point. We, we've we seen everything we need to see to know what's going to happen with this team. I think even you realize that, you know, as much as you may want them to make a decision right now, from what we know about this organization is they're going to hang on longer. They're going to watch Damien. They're going to, you know, keep playing Damien, even if he appears to be not 100%. They're going to keep doing that because they have so much faith in Damien's ability to, uh, to take this team. Yeah, uh, ex exactly. And I'm not saying it's over yet. I'm not saying abandon this team. I'm not saying abandon hope. My thought is you've got X amount of games left in the season and basically a, a time period. I think a, a similar parallel to draw right now is the Golden State Warriors. Were there expectations coming into the season that they would still be a team that was going to compete for a title? Yes. Their belief was that if they got Clay Thompson back in February, that a core of Steph, Clay, Dre, and possibly D'Angelo Russell, or whoever they, they moved him for, would be enough that they could buoy themselves through the regular season, and load for bear come playoffs with either D'Angelo Russell and those guys or whatever they got for D'Angelo Russell. And with the injuries they experienced, granted, they're more severe um, and obviously more impactful, but they've completely changed course, have they not? They have, but I would like to point out that the Golden State Warriors have unlike the Blazers, do not appear to have been planning for the future in the same way that the Blazers have. Yeah, and again, like I said, it's not a perfect parallel, but it is the, not just the Blazers. I've heard numerous organizations across sports who say we can't just pivot. Well, sometimes you have to. And I'm not saying the Blazers have to right now, but they are getting dangerously close to having to, um, with, unless something drastic changes. And Let's let's paint the picture this way. You had quite literally the best version of Damian Lillard for the first what twelve games of the season. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. Is there any argument to that? No, he was in the MVP conversation. He was scoring 60 points. He was blowing everybody away. And what did that do for the Blazers' record? It did not help them that much. <laughs> and when you're getting that, and there's no, I don't want to say hope, but there's no, there's no thing to point to in the immediacy that they can do. You have to at least consider the, the possibilities that the expectations, the priority for this season are going to need to change. It, it's not a small tweak. It's not, well, if we get Dane back to that level and we get CJ back to that level and we get uh, Carmelo Anthony playing like he was four years ago and we get, like, you're, you're asking too much, realistically. And now it's not to say it's impossible, but in, in my career, and this is something we talked about a, a, lot, a lot off there, and in my experience, in my career in life, it's, you don't plan for the the outliers you you plan for what you can control and when things get out of your control you have to be able to adopt you have to be able to or adapt and you have to be able to change it and operate a bit on the fly uh i mean just working in business if you have a project and something gets seriously derailed or you have you experience a, a significant setback you have to step back and reevaluate. You may have a timeline that you want something, but in reality, that timeline may need to move. And it's the same thing, I think, in, in, in professional sports. So the Blazers did just do one thing on the fly in adding Carmelo Anthony. Yes. And that was, you know, you called that, you know, an absolute desperation move. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, you did just say teams need to be able to do that. So they did it. Then <laughs> they went out, got Carmelo Anthony. Um, what were your expectations for him as a basketball player coming in, and how has he met or not met them so far? Uh, my expectations were very low, and he's not uh, like a jerk. He's met those. He's been inefficient. Okay. So spe- specifically, like, what were you thinking that you would the the Blazers would get out of him when he was on the floor? A volume shooter who can't play defense. Okay, and and that's really what they've gotten. And there's there's two conflicting thoughts here, and that there's 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 a group of people that I've seen that are like, well, what did you expect him to do? It take, it's going to take him a while, but at the same time, also like this is a results oriented league. You don't get a while, and who's to say you get 15 games into it and you're still not getting anything? Well, well, th- well then what's what's the, what's the excuse then? And that's kind of where I, I get with how you manage this whole situation. Um, I don't think it's it's worth it for the Blazers. So you thought that the Blazers were going to get a volume shooter who can't play defense, and what you're seeing out on the court is a volume shooter who can't play defense. Is I mean, that correct? Yeah. I mean, he, he went over 8 from, from the three-point line last night or last game, correct? Right. He's did, he, did, did he go over 8 every game? Has he been a poor shooter every game? What are his – how is he doing so far? His last – in his three games – He's averaging 13 points on 34% from the field and 31% from three. Mm-hmm. And how is Kent Bazemore doing? As bad, maybe maybe worse. Mm-hmm. But again, we're, we're comparing a, a two guard to a guy who's playing the four. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I said this the other night. Um, I think Kent Bazemore is, is likely my candidate for most disappointing player of the season so far. And... Everybody that thought, and even I bought into this a little bit, I, I believe that Bazemore was, was a good change. Um, his performance has been subpar at best. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that energy stuff that we saw in the first couple games of the season, 
I I feel like even that subsided. And it, it's a it's a bummer because I think Nasir Little has been the guy that's been called upon to bring that when Baseman was a guy that I think we all looked at to bring that. Uh, so, but again, that's, that's kind of the things that I, I, I wanted to point out earlier. Does Baysmore playing better? Do you think that gets him a, a, a few more wins? Um, I don't know where you're I, going I, with that. I know exactly. You, I want to. <laughs> I want to keep talking about Carmelo. Actually, I shouldn't have brought Baysmore up just yet because I want to keep talking about Carmelo. No, I, I'm going to tie it back to Carmelo. I, I don't think that the impact that these guys have or don't have is going to improve their 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 chances in the immediacy. Yeah, and that that's kind of like my expectations for for Melo were so low. Uh huh. Now, could would they... you like to know what I thought of Carmelo when he was coming and what I see? Yes, and that's what I was going to get to. Oh, good. Excellent. I anticipated that. So I did not have big expectations for him in the box score. I actually, I, I'm, I'm actually kind of happy with what he's come up with in the box score because I didn't really think that he would be able to. I thought it was just going to, he'd go out and it would just be like brick after brick after brick, but he proved me wrong on that. But that's not what I see. What I see when he goes out on the court is I see a professional who's played basketball for 16 years who knows the game. And the thing that was telling to me on that, and I wrote about that in in, uh, my column today, is that he's a guy who can reach and grab a pass no matter how bad it is. And to me, it's little things like that that I think this team can use right now. And no, he's not impacting the box score in a huge way. And he's taking a lot of shots. And I got to think that part of the reason he's taking a lot of shots is because he just got here and they need to get him used to what it's like playing in the system. But I also think that he brings some little things that can be useful, especially to all the young players who are playing alongside him or sitting on the bench and watching him and then coming in after him. I think that he has things to give. And I'm not saying that he's mentoring. This always is like, oh, does that mean he's a mentor? No, I don't think he's a mentor or a coach. But I think he's a guy who knows this game, who's been around for a really long time and does have things that he can that can be both useful for the team and also can be observed by the younger players who are just coming up. So that's what I see when I see Carmelo on the floor. My, my counter to that is at what cost? And we talked about this when they signed him. When we're talking about well, the they don't have Paul Gasol sitting there anymore. Well, he is still sitting there. Well, <laughs> he's not taking up a roster spot. No, that's true. But I think a lot of the frustration with the organization right now, because things are going so bad, is there. And this isn't solely directed at Carmelo. It's some of the other guys too. It's at Anthony Tolliver. It's at Mario Hazonia. It's at Kent Bazemore. Is that they see these guys that are underperforming and they want to see the young guys get a chance and. The more time Carmelo Anthony's on the floor, that's time that's cutting into Scal's minutes. That's time that's cutting into Sears' minutes. And trying to balance those things and understand what the goals of the organization are and what Terry Sauce is being told of the goals and, and what is expected of him and what is expected of those players, I think that's a, a difficult thing for fans to really truly grasp right now. Well, I want to know if you see what I see when he is on the floor. Do you see a guy who looks like he knows how to play basketball? Certainly. And okay. that's the thing. I, I don't think Carmelo Anthony is an idiot. I, I don't think he's um, incapable of being on the floor. I just don't think the things that he gives to this team merit him getting 25 minutes a night and 15 shots. Like, and, and, and if that were the case, don't you think another team would have signed him beforehand? 
Well, I just don't think that's going to continue. I could be wrong. We will wait and find out. I'd be really curious. I wish I had looked beforehand. Like when they do add players in the middle of the year, do they tend to get more shots right away? Because you know how often, you know, he'll drop, they'll drop a play for a player, you know, just to get them involved in the game. You know, is that a tech tactic or a technique for when somebody is added to the team late, like especially a guy who's been around for a while and like maybe repetition is what's going to get him up to speed fastest. My answer to that would be, I think it depends. Let's look at Rodney Hood. He didn't want to, he came from a situation in Cleveland. He just wanted to get the hell out of. Mm -hmm. He didn't want to ruffle any feathers. And we heard Kent Bazemore when he got to this team here this season, he texted Damon CJ said, Hey, I know this is your guys' team. I don't want to ruffle any feathers. I don't want to get in the way. I just want to ride the wave. You think uh, Carmelo's trying to is gonna ruffle feathers? I don't know if it's necessarily ruffling feathers, but I'm talking about the difference between a guy who's been a 17-year alpha uh-huh. and a role player. And what is Carmelo Anthony being called upon to do this with this team? Is he called upon to be an alpha and take that many shots a night? Or is he called upon to be a role player and space the floor for Damon CJ? And I think those are the those are the things that you're trying to, to juxtapose on top of each other and, and 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 justify how effective that signing is. Not that you, the proverbial you. Right. Right. Well, I mean, I but like I mean, I had a different kind of low expectations. Um, I mean, you had low expectations because you thought that he wasn't going to be a great player. I had low expectations in terms of I didn't really think that he was going to be expected to do that much. Do you think that he was brought in to do a lot? You said that you you think that he was brought in to space the floor for Damon CJ, which makes sense to me. And I and I understand that. And I guess if when he came on and they didn't give him as many shots, they could have just let the mystique of, well, it's Carmelo. He's probably going to get the shot, so I should guard him anyway. And thus the floor gets spread. Mm-hmm. Or was it like, let's give him the ball so that he can show that he can make those shots. And then like people will for real be guarding him. Like, I don't think I've seen, we haven't seen, we've only seen three games of him. Um, but what I've seen so far doesn't seem to be the type of performance where people would not guard him. And I think the, the the people who are are very much in the favor, are in favor of Carmelo Anthony being on this team. Well, the argument was, he's better than X, and Serge Hazonia, Tolliver, whoever else. And again, we're talking about reputation and things of that nature. The that idea, I, I understand, I, I get it. But those same people are also frustrated or uh, mad about the fact that Nasir Little's not getting on the floor in favor of Anthony Tolliver. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, sh- me, I for sure want to talk about these young guys. And this kind, of, <laughs> kind of my point of like, you have to understand what the goals are for each individual player. What management is saying though that the, the roles of these players? Yes, Terry Stotts is the coach. But if you think he's making moves independently of everything all the time, you're crazy. And that's not just Terry Stotts. That's around the NBA. Like, Do you mean that like that Terry Stotts' coaching is completely separate from what the front office is doing? Yes. And, okay. that, and, that, and that's, not, that's not a reality. Right. Like, they're, they're, they're a you're moves saying there's made... a connection between the two. Like, yes, you know... 100%. Okay. Um, I don't want to get into specifics because that's not what I'm trying to do. But if you look around the league... There are guys who sign with teams, whether in the offseason or as a free agent or as a buyout, because the role on the team that has been given to them is coming from management. 
Now, it's being consulted on with the coaching staff, but the basketball president of operations or uh, president of basketball operations or the general manager, whatever the title may be, is making the decision on player personnel. That's his job. Mm-hmm. And it's the coach's job to fit those desires, needs, wants, <laughs> and make it work. Mm-hmm. And so there are times when guys are getting X amount of minutes because an agent and a GM work that out. And it has to happen. That's when the GM walks to a coach and says, I don't care how you have to do it. It has to be done because I guaranteed this. My relationship, my trust with this agent is on the line. And those kind of deals are made probably more often than people are, are, are aware of. And so those are the kind of things that Terry Stotts has to, to, to wrangle with. The other part of it is, and I've heard plenty of people say this about Terry Stotts, um, is that Terry Stotts is playing, he feels like he's coaching for his job every night. And I'm not talking about this season. I'm talking about in general. Because his previous coaching appointments were so short-lived as a head coach that he feels like every game could be his last. And so Still gonna... this far into his tenure? Yes. Wait, so you're saying that people are saying this? You say that you think this? Like, what? where does it, this come it, from? This is the it, first time I've heard this. <laughs> it, it, it's been expressed to me from people who would who were in a position to know these things. That that Terry Stotts is coaching every game like it's the most important game because his previous coaching stints were so he short. Feels like, it feels like it could be his last. Yeah. Wow, he's a lot of years in to be still feeling like that. But think about how fleeting it is for a coach in any professional sport in North America. How quickly they can get a hook. Do you remember the road trip two years ago? Again, it was Chicago and Cleveland mm-hmm. where we heard that if he had dropped the game, I believe it was Chicago, that he was going to be fired. Mm-hmm. Think about that in retrospect and about where this team got to last year, whether or not you, well, no matter what the, 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 the circumstances were. Like that's how that's how volatile things can get sometimes, and so you can at least you can at least understand where that idea is coming from. Okay, so but does it make does it make sense for us to think that Terry Stotts could be on the hot seat when it, it, this year with what everything that's going on with the injuries with the so. new roster? I, what do I you think about? I mean, I'm I'm guessing you don't think that he's on the hot seat. (laughs) No, I do not believe Terry Stotts is on the hot seat. Uh, I think because of the injuries, and here's the thing. I think trying to bring in somebody else would just be like a million times harder. Yes, and the relationship he has obviously with Damian Lillard, that means a lot. Um, But, I mean, it's one of those things. It's a very, very difficult knife, you know, balancing act. You're just kind of walking on that blade and you're just trying not to lean too far one way or the other. Um, This is kind of like goes to the original point of, you know, coming into the season, why I I didn't like the whole idea of the championship expectations when there are still so many things in flux. Mm -hmm. So let's walk through some of the arguments that people are putting out there about why Terry Stotts should be on the hot seat. Because like I said, like when I look at it, it's like he has a team that is injured of all new players. So that would have been like, you know, the year that LaMarcus left and they completely turned over the team and they get, you know, 15 games into it and everyone's like, no, you're out of here. Mm. Say that again. I want to make sure I got every bit of that. Okay. So my question is, 
you know, let's let's go through some of the arguments that people are making yeah. about Terry Sots being on the hot seat, because in my opinion, with so much change having taken as well as taken place, as well as all the injuries going mm. on, you know, losing him at this point or, you know, firing him at this point would have been like firing him after they changed over the entire team when LaMarcus left and they were like yes. 15 games in and they were like, oh, no, this isn't working anymore. Yes, I, I think that, that that's a pretty safe bet. And the thing is, like, when you fire a coach, you're trying to inspire something or make organizational change Seems or like institution. Yeah, yeah, I do, too. Now, if you were, like, planning on dealing Dame and CJ and starting over with, like, Aunt Zach and, and, and Nasir, sure. I, I, I could see it in that instance. Maybe. But so what are the arguments about? Uh, is it just like the Blazers are losing? They got to do something or, you know, you've talked before about, you know, people saying that X players should be playing instead of Y. Let's yes. talk through some of that. So I think a lot of it has to do with rotations. Uh, Anthony Tolliver being on the floor over Nasir Little, Carmelo Anthony being on the floor over Nasir Little, um, either those guys on the floor over Scalabissier. Uh, those are the most common one. The other one I get is the... Um, the playbook, the the sets that they run, the, the motion offense, flow offense, and things of that nature. And I've seen plenty of people say, you know, I see the same plays every night. Da, 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 da. And I'm just like, okay, let's kind of go through these line by line. This offense that isn't very good, it, again, that's me being sarcastic, has been a good to great offense through multiple variations of Terry Stotts led team here. Mm-hmm. Correct? Right. And remember, when he first came in, it did take like a year or a little not, more yeah, for that for it to start making to... sense. I mean, it was built on continuity. Yes, <laughs> and it's not an easy system to learn. And that's the other part. Of, like, I've seen people who, like, they run the same plays. And you heard CJ talk about it the other night, and we've talked about it a bit. They have a massive playbook, and they have counters that run out of those plays. But right now, in this instance, with how gutted they are, what what is your best bet if you're really trying to win games and you haven't pivoted to development and resting Damon CJ when you have opportunities? You're going to put the ball in their hands. <coughs> Excuse me, I did not mute my mic fast enough. Uh, thank you. And so you're going to put the ball in those guys' hands, and it's up to it's incumbent upon the other players in this instance, a guy like Carmelo Anthony, who. Molly doesn't have a reputation as a knockdown three-point shooter. Is probably a better three-point shooter than Nasir Little. Yes. I don't know yet. I. I mean, I. I would like. The knock I, on Nasir is that he, his shot doesn't work and it needs development. Yeah. But I mean, I'm talking like if you're and if you're I mean, not like homeless, what I just said. What I just said about Carmelo is that hopefully his reputation precedes him enough. Exactly. So that people treat him as somebody who. Um, could shoot threes even if he may be on the decline and Nasir may be on the rise. Exactly. And, and that's, that's that's my point. If you're talking about trying to win games right now, everybody wants to to micromanage all the little things. And this is something I've heard from from Terry Stotts, from Greg Popovich, from Doc Rivers, from the, the best coaches in the league. You can't micromanage. You can't do every single thing in the moment. You have to play the long game. And I don't like, and that's part of the reason why I don't want Carmelo Anthony on the team. 
I, I don't think the long game matters because I don't think with the way things are right now, they can win enough games to justify continue giving him minutes. I, I would rather, if we're talking about the long game, as far as like the continuity of this franchise, I think Nasir Little is more important going forward, mm-hmm. whether as an active player on this team or if you want to trade him as an asset. Okay, I don't I don't disagree with that, but like Nestor Little can't play forty eight minutes, and Scalavicia can't play forty eight minutes. So no. would you would you rather have Hazonia play over Carmelo? And that's where I kind of like hell. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> again, what 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 is the real gain in the immediacy? If if it, if Carmelo helps you win two more games, and you still don't win forty games in the season, is that worth it? Would well, you rather would you rather give in those minutes to maybe oh gosh, maybe Hazonia and maybe he figures it out? And I'm not saying he will, that he should, or that he could, or this, that, or the other. What's the more likely scenario going forward? That Hazonia has a finds a way to be slightly more impactful, and it's somebody that the Blazers can re-sign on a minimum contract next year as a tenth, eleventh man, or that Carmelo Anthony helps pull this team up by its bootstraps. Man, your whole most likely going forward scenarios are never as fun as the scenarios that I want to play out. I hate your more most likely going forward scenarios. They are so no fun. I, that's, that's why I, that, that 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 informs the way that I look at things. Is I because I used to years ago I used to look at the you micro used to be fun. all that, that's true too. <laughs> but I also used to look at the micro so much more until I until I started talking to more people in the league and around teams. And I'm not saying that I have this exclusive access, this, that, or the other. I've just been around people who know significantly more about the game than I do, and I trust what they've done because their record speaks for it. That's what I. That's what I'm trying to get to when I when I look at these things, and it's just one of those things where like I, I don't agree with it, but okay, if if that's what you th- what you think is right, let's see how this plays out. And I and I think that that's that benefit of the doubt has kept me from saying some really stupid things. <laughs> now, not all of them, but it's kept me from <laughs> some really stupid things. Well, I have to say that the people that. I mostly interact with who are talking about the Blazers now are very into the younger players. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people have been like, you know what, when like, like I was when Nurk went down and then on top of that, when Collins went down realistically trying to, you know, trying to ask this team to, you know, keep going at a high winning percentage is just unrealistic. And by the time everybody gets back, Dame will be just like gutted because he will have had to carry the team so far. So I'm seeing a lot of people, including myself, get excited about the possibility of these young players. And again, the Blazers planned on the fact that they needed to have players coming up beside Damian. We've talked about that a million times. So, um, you know that I just love it every single time Scal steps out on the floor. I'm starting to feel the same way about Little. We're seeing Gary Trent out there. So I've got some mm-hmm. questions about them. My first one is, can we really call Scal that young anymore? Because he has been in the league for several years. He but has he just... been in the league And I'm glad you asked this because I had this discussion about Andrew Wiggins the other day. Wiggins is having a, a very good season, yes? Yeah, for sure. Okay. He's Still only 24, Tara. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
but he's been in the league for six years. Yeah. Okay, Scal's like a, a year and four months older than Zach. How do we look at Zach? Mm-hmm. We, we as still developing. Kid. As a kid, right? As mm-hmm. far as being in the NBA. Scal's just been around still a little bit longer. Yeah, but he came to the but game later. Ex- exactly. And that's why I try to kind of like, and you know how, I, how much I love Scal. I, 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 love, I wanted the Blazers to draft the kid. Hmm. I, 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 I love him. I, I, I think he has preternatural ability the same way that Yusuf Nurkic does. He, I mean, when he catches on the short roll and is able to either find a guy on a cut or kick out for a three or pull up from mid-range or step through and dunk on somebody mm-hmm. and then go to the other end and block a shot and rebound and get things out in transition, like that's just natural ability. And you hope to God it comes together for him. But he is still a kid, and he should factor into the Blazers' development plans. Absolutely, 100%. I'm not saying he's going to be a future all-star, but he's still far too young to be like, oh, you know, we can move on from him. That's why the Blazers stuck for so long with Noah Vonley. Well, I am loving what I have seen out of Scal. We've talked before about his screens. Um, One thing that I've noticed him doing is paying very careful attention to like how long he's in the paint and stepping out and touching mm-hmm. players and like you know keeping track of all of that really well he's a champion pointer when it comes to defense he's the one who's calling out and pointing about everybody where everybody should be now things that Myers isn't loves. there what things Tara loves <laughs> yes <laughs> um but he also has a mid-range shot, and he's one of the few people who can actually get to the hoop these days. Like, nobody for the life of them can get to the hoop, it seems like, but he's able to snake in there uh, somehow. You know, you said that you don't you know, anticipate him being an all-star, and I, I really don't either, but how do you see his ceiling and... Like if he was to stay with the Trailblazers, you know, for the next couple of years, what do you think that might look like? I mean, peak... He's a starter in this league. Likely scenario, he's a very gifted, uh, more offensively oriented, first big off the bench. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't think that's a stretch of any imagination to see that as being a success. Everybody wants to look at a guy, and, and if he's not an all star, he's a bust. Mm-hmm. I, I think Scout. I mean, his shooting touch alone merits development. I, I mean, contrast how effective he is on the floor. And what he means to the Blazers' offense with Hassan Whiteside. And this isn't to, to, to crap on Hassan Whiteside. They're just two vastly different players. Mm-hmm. When Scal sets the screen, number one, it's a better screen. Number two, his options are exponentially more than Whiteside. When Whiteside pops, is anybody going with him? No. When Scal pops, you might have to think about it because he's shown at least a penchant for knocking down that shot, either at the three-point line or at the mid-range. The other part is when he catches on the roll, he's rolling harder or he's catching in that mid-post, high-post area where he acts as a baby Yusuf Nurkic. Mm-hmm. Now, the pass isn't as good. The uh, timing isn't as great. But you see the raw ability and the possibility of that. I've seen him doing some of the exact plays that Yusuf would run. Yes, um, I you hold your breath and you pray, and, and you hope, but you and but you can like see it like develop in his eyes and go, okay, I'm gonna bounce past this between those two guys, mm-hmm. and Dame is gonna scoop it up, and you can just you can just see the whole thing playing out. 
Um, one of the things I also love about him and, you know, you might not like it as much is that he is like so even keeled. Oh, he's him and Anthony Simons have zero. Mo- he dunked on the Bucks like there was no tomorrow, and, and just calmly some, went some back more, up to the other end and got on D. The other end. <laughs> I loved it. I mean, we like guys with the we've 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 discussed liking guys with a little fire, so we're going to talk about Nas Little they left just, next. They just have those guys. They have a Nas Little. Yeah. They have a Yusuf Nurkic. They so you have don't feel that. like Scal needs to do I, that. I don't think he needs to be that guy. And not everybody needs to be that guy. And when the Blazers are healthy, I think they have a fair amount of those guys. Now, would I like one more of those guys in the starting lineup on the wing as a defender? Yes. There's no doubt about that. But I don't think that Scal necessarily has to have that. When when we were critical of Nurk in his early days in in Portland, it was because we saw it, I think, every now and then, and we wanted more of it. It wasn't we need him to be this guy. He was already that guy. Yeah, I was like, why can't you be like that all the time? (laughs) He was a bit of a jerk in in, in the good sense. We just wanted to see that more of the time. And like we look at Anthony Simons, and if he's truly going to be the guy to replace Damian Lillard, don't you want a guy who kind of emulates his style, who's just just flatlined all the time, just stone-cold killer? I mean, that seems like a pretty damn good transition from one guy to another. Yeah. I don't need that from those guys. So it sounds like you're thinking of Scala's ceiling as, you know, the uh, backing up Yusuf Nurkic and giving solid minutes off the bench. I look Backup at him, center. You, you know what, and, and this maybe will help people change people's opinions on how I view Zach. I see him as the offensive version of Zach. Hmm. Mm, interesting. Like he has a lot of tools where he can impact the game a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. But I think the defensive stuff is going to be harder interesting. to work on. And I think Zach has a lot of different defensive tools, and he can do a lot of different things. Block shots, cover out on the perimeter, be that weak side help guy, be that kind of glue guy that unlocks the defensive potential. I look at Scal much the same way on the offensive side. When he's on the floor, he unlocks what the Blazers can do offensively. And you talk about C.J. McCollum having to limit the playbook. I think when you've got Scal on the floor, you can open the playbook because of his physical profile, because of his natural gifts, because of his shooting touch. And so those are the kind of things when I look at players, those are the things that I like the intrinsic abilities that you can work on and develop. You're not asking Hassan Whiteside to all of a sudden become a prolific short roll passer at age 30 in the NBA. I I don't think that's a fair thing to do, nor is it to put him in those positions. So one thing that Scal also shares with Zach is uh, getting the propensity to get into foul trouble. So what's one thing that you would like to see him working on, I guess, like in the short term uh, to try to draw fewer fouls? It's the same thing with Zach. It's hand placement. It's being less egregious with that hand placement. You've got to be aware of where your hands are. You've got to be sneaky. If you get wide on guys and have your arms out wide, you're, you're opening yourself up, especially when you have a wingspan like those guys. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of arm to tie up for James Harden, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's one of those things where it's like, you got to be a little bit tighter in your movements. Um, verticality. Zach picked that up very quick, and the refs continued to stick it to him. Mm-hmm. Zach, his first year, he brought his arms down. After that, he, he arms are straight up and down. He cleaned now, it up, but you're saying you still have the respect. Yeah, he cleaned it up a ton because he was a just repeat offender with bringing the arms down because he was so used to college and, and that not being called. It gets called. Scal, he's so damn long. Just keep the arms up, man. 
just just keep them up. And Myers and Robin Lopez, those guys are great at mm-hmm. that. Like just being damn big. Yeah. Like I, I don't need Scout to chase after everything. I, I need him to be that that back line and being smart about things. And that's why kind of going back to how these guys are viewed in, in, in rotations and people getting mad at Terry Stoss for not playing Scal in situations. The volatility. Right now, Scal is legitimately the only big that they have on the active roster. If he goes out in the early minutes and picks up three fouls and you're in a close game situation at the end of the game and you need a big, are you going to call on the guy who could maybe give you the higher ceiling in Scal? Or are you going to call on Anthony Tolliver, who's been in the league for 12 years and doesn't make mistakes defensively? You're going to go with Tolliver if the directive as a coach is still that you need to put yourself in the best position to win every single night. And until that directive changes, I think that's the way things are going to skew. So why would Tolliver start over Scal? To go back to my, you know, repeated, (laughs) somewhat joking, but now actually looking more reasonable um, argument that Scal might get Noah Vonley minutes. Like, why, why start Tolliver over Scal? I think it's about volatility. It's about getting off to a good start. You may get a great quarter from Scal where he had one the other night where he came in the game with, what do you have, like 11 points in the quarter? Mm-hmm. But you could also get Scal to pick up 3,000 in the first two minutes, much like Zach did in year two. Mm-hmm. And I, I and if you're if you're worried about getting off to good starts and, you, and your margin of error is so thin, you want to narrow that volatility gap. I'm sorry I'm laughing because the Blazers have gotten off to a lot of really good starts this year. How's that going for them? Okay, but again, but who's been starting in those situations? Has it been Tolliver? Yeah. I think that's why you have to look at those things. But it doesn't work out in the end. <laughs> well, we'll see what argue, happens. I, I would argue that what happens in between is the bigger problem. And, that, and that's, again, looking at the bench. Yeah. And that's where I think having Scal on the bench is actually a better thing, I, again, because you're hoping that lightning strikes there because you're looking at that starting lineup and going, my baseline is going to be here. Mm-hmm. If we can just get these things from the bench, we might have a puncher's chance. But that's the volatility of having so many young guys and having so many inconsistent performers. Well, and I wonder, too, about whether or not uh, Stotts likes playing Scal alongside Anthony. I mean, do you think that they might be thinking that way in the future of like, let's go ahead and get these guys playing together? I think the other part of it is, is that when you have Scal alongside Anthony, you're giving Anthony a little bit better screen setting. Mm-hmm. You're giving him more options to work with. Um, and again, you're opening space, a little bit more space. And in the last couple, in the last week, Ant's been playing with a bum ankle. And as much as we were, as everybody's talking about Dame's back, you can see Ant's a little, little limited. Mm-hmm. Um things he, he'll make a play to make you just go what mm-hmm. the the takeoff on robin lopez against the box from the dotted line on the layup was definitely a play it was like oh okay <laughs> uh but you can see still he kind of grimaces every now and then he's not quite 100 percent looking like he's trusting it but i think what you said there is a great point i, I think allowing ant to have more options and maybe have more success because let, let's be honest right now who is 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 a, is a player the Blazers are looking at or counting on to deliver with the bench right now? Is it anybody other than Anthony Simons? Right. No, it's it's Anthony. I would think. That's why I, I I'm a hundred percent in agreement with you. Um. So with that, I think it's a, it's a very good point that so put him in, him in his best of position because having Tolliver out there, mm-hmm. 
again, the baseline is is there, but is Tolliver as good a screen setter? Is he uh, as multifaceted offensively? No, Tolliver's a good screen setter. So I yeah, I don't I'm not as down on Tolliver as I hear. It seems to me that Tolliver does a lot of things correctly. Again, another guy who's been around like Carl Mello, who like understands how the game is played. I think the guy that is catching the most unfair amount of flack this season is Anthony Tolliver. Okay. When we talked about his signing, what what did we say? I it's said between, who? <laughs> yeah, and it was between the toss up was between either him or Powell is the last guy to get minutes mm-hmm. in the rotation. When we when I when I did that piece on like building out the rotation, Toller was the guy that I was like, well, it's coin toss. Mm-hmm. He's been elevated from that twelfth, thirteenth man to a starter. A starter, yeah. Yeah. Like so, to sit there and beat him up and play and 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 lay so much blame at his feet, I think is criminally unfair. Okay, he's he's a guy who, and this is the somebody I, I keep saying to Joe every time he sees something, he's like, man, he really does this well. His baseline is higher than most role players, but it doesn't move. Yeah, like like the only thing that that is inconsistent with him is his shooting, and he's got a. A decade-long platform of showing he's a consistent shooter. I think he right. just started off slow. And that's gotten better, too. And he also, you know that, I don't know if you can even count on your hand the amount of times I've ever complained about the refs, but he doesn't get charges called. He oh, gets he himself gets, set, and he he's good at that, but he yeah. doesn't get those calls. He, he probably gets them 50-50, but again, that, that's, that's knowing where guys are trying to get to. Having a high basketball IQ... Um, defensively, how many times do you see him not vertical when he's challenging a shot? How many times do you see him reach in? You don't see it. Mm-hmm. He knows guys. He's played these guys so many times. Uh, look what he did to Giannis. Oh, oh, my God. That was great. And that was on an outlet pass from Gary Trent Jr. Yeah, but or was none- it Gary Trent or was it Naz? I can't remember, but it was what it was. I'm pretty sure it was Gary Trent Jr. Um, they were both fighting a little bit um, on within the half court line and he forced a turnover, got the ball and threw an outlet pass to a charging Anthony Tolliver. And it was amazing. (laughs) The very best play of the entire week though, was definitely Naz grabbing the ball out of Giannis's hands. So let's talk about Naz for a little bit. That was my favorite thing by far. I, I love this year. Little, and when I saw him get actual in-game action in the NBA, the first thing that came to mind was Gerald Wallace. And okay. you, you, you know me. I'm not. I'm prone to hyperbole in things, but player comparisons. <laughs> really? You, okay. Correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> when I when I do player comparisons, do I go? Do I just throw out names? No, you don't generally. You don't generally say like he's LeBron James. You usually try to find an accurate one that will actually tell the story. And then when I watch Nasir Little, I see a lot of Gerald Wallace. And it's not just the hair or the athleticism. It's his reckless abandon. It's his desire to be, to not just to beat you in a head-to-head matchup, but to beat you mentally and physically, to wear you out, that I will outwork you mentally, physically, emotionally. I will not back down. I'm... Every time you think you have me beat, I am going to run it right back down your throat. And that's just something guys have. It, it's the same way guys like C.J. McCollum and J.J. Redick and Kyle Korver 
and Reggie Miller, can, Ray, uh, Rip Hamilton, Ray Allen, those guys can run you ragged mm-hmm. for four quarters. They, it, it's not about an Because they just love doing that. They just they know that they can just run circles around you, and they have the innate ability. They have an, uh, an internal engine that allows them to run miles, and it's just miserable for an opponent. <laughs> for guys well, like Nasir and Gerald Wallace, theirs is a brute force punch in the face that just doesn't stop. The, 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 the thing that came to my mind was working with Principal Long the other day. He said, what's a, what's a gif or a movie that makes you think of the Blazers? And I didn't think of the Blazers. I thought of Nasir Little. And he's the Monty Python knight who's just like, I'll gum you to death. Like, he, just, he doesn't know any better. And I don't mean that in a bad way. He doesn't know how to back down. Mm-hmm. And that's just, that's just something that's ingrained in him. And watching him get on the floor has been easily one of my favorite things this season. Yeah, I love it every time he gets on the floor. And that's why one of those one of those things like where I said, you know, a lot of people that I talk to are disappointed in the Blazers record, but yeah, and you know, sad that they're not winning, but are really enjoying watching some of these young players. Now when mm-hmm. I watch Naz Little, so I sit up in the three hundreds, like way mm-hmm. the heck up there. And the first couple of times that I saw him, I was like, who's he remind me of? Who's he remind me of? And I think because of his body type, I he kind of reminds me of what, what I think the Blazers thought that Biggie was going to be in terms of just like a guy who can, you know, use his uh, backside as well as his long arms, mm-hmm. who can throw his body around, who is relentless at getting um, – like you're saying, a relentless at getting rebounds and it's just second chance stop. effort plays. And I think that's mm-hmm. what they thought that they were going to get with Biggie, which didn't seem to uh, pan out here. But um, what I mean, just the fact that he stuck with that ball and ripped it out of Giannis's hands. It has been so long. It feels like it feels like an eternity in between times Blazers are able to win <laughs> the ball underneath the basket like that. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's the thing that Yusuf Nurkic brings that's been missing. That this is mine. Mm-hmm. There's nobody else is taking this from me. I will physically impose my will on God, you. I miss him so much. And and, and that's what you. I think not just Blazer fans. I think people, fans of teams in general, they miss out on those things until they're gone. And when something comes back and reminds them of that. They um, immediately lock onto it. It's why guys like Ed Davis and Joel Prisbilla are renowned and still revered because they they brought that physicality, they brought that attitude, they brought that I'm not going to back down. Why even in his short time in Portland, Gerald Wallace had such an impact mm-hmm. beyond the fact that you know he was traded for what would be Timmy Lillard. Yeah. Um, but i love what nas has been able to give this team he had his first double double the other night and i was thrilled for the young man i mean because he, he plays with so much enthusiasm it's contagious it's right. yeah, I, I i think it genuinely impacts a team outside of the box score more than a lot of other things have this season i, I think guys see his effort and it's it if a guy's tired or it's been a long shift or they're having a rough night and they see him just selling out, like, I, okay, I got to, I got to lock back in. I got to, I got to get my mind right. And that's human for everybody who thinks that every player gives a hundred percent, every single possession, every play. There's like five guys who do. I think Nasir Little is one of those guys who, who does. And that's what just, do you... that's just, that's just the reality of it. 
what do you see as his ceiling after you know the end of the year and maybe into into next year what do you see um do you do you think that blazers get right he goes back to the bench or do you think that he's going to earn himself a place in the rotation he has good defensive instincts he's still a little too aggressive he still doesn't quite know things and that the defense is just the hardest damn thing to do in the nba both because of the rules how the game is called and the speed of the game and how long it, it takes three or four years for it to really to really pit um i i would assume unless things make a drastic change that he's going to be a bench guy mm-hmm. if he if he continues with his team. Now that could change if the makeup of the team changes. I just find it hard to believe that the Blazers could run Nasir and Nurkic and Zach at the same time with a starting lineup of Damon CJ. Mm-hmm. Even if Zach develops a capable floor spacing ability where he's a, a decent three point shooter, I don't think Nasir is ever going to be a guy who you you can count on for that. And now. Here's the thing that, that may catch some people off guard. I would like it, certainly, if Nasir Little developed a jump shot. But if he didn't, and he became a relentless, fast-break, rim-running, second-chance-point monster, I would be 100% okay with that. Because there's a place for that in this league, and I think that's what Mo Harkless could have been. And if the Blazers got to a point where they had enough shooting on the floor, he could be on the floor as a starter if things continued to develop for him and go the right way. Does that make sense? Yeah, I just think it's a weird thing to say that you don't care about whether or not he develops a jump shot because, like, why wouldn't he be able to? Do you think he does he strike you as somebody who doesn't look like you? He, he doesn't. You no, know, he, he's got a he's he's got a lot of things going on mechanically mm. that doesn't. Mm. And and that's that's the thing is that. I think people see that, and because the three-point shot is so valuable today, that if you can't shoot, that you're not valuable in the NBA. And I, I don't necessarily agree with that. Mm-hmm. I, I think, and again, like the mid-range shot being dead, the, the arguably the best player in the league right now, you know, whether you want to toss it up between Giannis, LeBron, or Kawhi, are any of them confident three-point shooters? It not, feels not, like... Kawhi is every time. It feels like they all are every time they play the Blazers. But well, maybe I mean, that's we, just we saw me. Giannis chalk, chalk up. We went what one for eight. Yeah, but that one. Ugh. <laughs> Again, that's the thing. It's like he doesn't need Perception. to be a guy who exactly. If he hits, a, and that's the thing. Like if he is able to hit like 35 percent from three, that's a godsend. If he turns into an interior monster, like when was the last time the Blazers had somebody on the fast break? who you were like, he is going to dunk on their whole damn team. Mm-hmm. Nasir has one that. of those last game. Yeah, not had that ability. He and the Blazers, and like, that was my biggest thing with Mo Harkless, was that you look at his body, you look at his build and his athleticism, and when he wasn't shooting well, it's like, Mo, you can still Just run cut. the floor. Like, how many times already this season, in the limited time this year Little has been on the floor, have you seen him catch the, the ball in the dunker spot or get a second chance put back dunk already? He's already had a few dunks of the night. <laughs> and we just never got that from Mel. And that's what I'm saying. There, there is certainly a place in the NBA for a player of his type, even if he's not a, a consistently capable three-point shooter, if the other things elevate to another level, which honestly I think is something that could happen. If, if you, I'm, I'm not saying it's going to happen. 
But I would not be out of the realm of possibilities for me for a, a guy who's built like that with that motor and that engine, that size, that enthusiasm at this age was able to turn into a Gerald Wallace type player. That's your hope when you look at him. That's where your hope. That's why he was projected as a top 10, top 12 pick. It wasn't because they thought that maybe he could develop a shot. It was the other. And if he can develop those things, he could be that player. He's still very young, but the raw tools and the intrinsic stuff, like we talked about with Scal, I believe is certainly there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, a couple of guys to look forward to. One more player. I, we've talked about Anthony quite a bit, so I kind of wasn't going to touch on him a lot. What I really want, I, who I wanted to talk about next was Gary Trent Jr. Because even Gary Trent Jr. is getting, uh, getting time on the floor, and he's been fun to watch. What are your thoughts on what Gary Trent Jr. has shown so far? Thoughts of the other night. Hit his best game as a pro when he came out there in the start. And again, we're talking about shooting. Gary Trent Jr. coming out of high school and in college was an elite level shooter. So it shouldn't be a surprise that a guy that you didn't question his shooting. There's very, 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 very few guys in, you know, top level recruit college basketball history who were considered elite level shooters that got to the NBA and couldn't shoot. So for him to finally find confidence and effectively knock down shots isn't a surprise. The, the questions I had about him coming in was how effective he could be defensively. And I think he's getting there passively. But I think he's feeling more comfortable. He's growing up you know, in the league. He's getting more opportunities because of these injuries and because of how shorthanded and because they have to mix so many things up. And I, I think, for particularly for a second-round guy, he's right on track from what we've seen from second-round guys that the Blazers have drafted, right? And, and probably more so. Yeah, I mean he's kind of he's kind of playing the the third the third year type role that's typical Already. right now. Yeah, and I think because of circumstances, the, though, probably yeah. not necessarily because he's ready. Although and the he's fact that he, acquitting himself well, exactly, and the fact that he is acquitting himself so well, I think that I mean, if you're struggling to find positives, and I know that I'm normally the negative guy, I these are the things that I was kind of hinting at and looking at for this year already. Not necessarily Gary Trent Jr. But Anthony Simons, Zach Collins, Scal, the, the, those are the things that we talked about, the guys that could, that could contribute. Because when we looked at this season, at least for me, I saw it as a transition year. Mm-hmm. And so these guys being in these positions right now, it sucks in the sense that the team is not doing well record-wise and that guys aren't healthy. But I think in the long haul or over the long haul, these things will be good for the team. And I know I've had a few people like, I've, heard, I've seen you say some like trying to like find some positives and things. And I think, and again, like talking about expectations coming in the season, I think mine were just lower. So it's easier for me to, to adjust to these things right now. And in that I'm not abandoning the season or I'm not saying that there's no reason to hope for anything. I just changed my perspective. If you haven't, that's fine. If you're listening to this, that, that that's fine. I disagree. But there are still things to look at in this season to be okay with, while also at the same time saying this team right now is one of the five worst teams in the league. Yeah, you look at the standings and there they are. <laughs> I was I was looking at it because I was like, oh, who who's around the Blazers in the standings right now? And it's you know it's like Memphis, OKC, the Blazers, and um. Uh, Golden State, only instead of being the four teams at the top, <laughs> they're the four teams at the bottom. <laughs> I was like, like, it's bizarre world. 
Somebody said the other day, I think it was Sam Spendiari who does the Light Years podcast for the Warriors. It's a rough year for team culture because at one point in time, the bottom three teams in the West were the Warriors, the Blazers, and the Spurs, mm-hmm. who I think are the three franchises we all associate with having the best cultures in the league. Which I guess, if we want to look on the bright side, is probably why none of those teams are going to stay down there very long. Exactly. See, that's, a, that's, that's, that's the positivity we're looking for. Yeah, you don't have to congratulate me on coming up with something positive, Dan. <laughs> Who are you talking to? Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's more me projecting. Like, hey, look, somebody, <laughs> yeah, it's something positive in here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Thing, like, I, I don't want to get too inside baseball here. But Joe and I, when we're talking about this, and you and I, when we're talking about this, it's, I don't want to sit here and beat this team up. I don't enjoy it. I, I, I sure as hell know you don't. No, I definitely do not. But you also, I think, I think even you, with all of your optimism and hope, have changed your perception of where this team is and where they need to be. And so I've gone back to where my perception should have been all along (laughs) when I remember what happened to Yusuf Nurkic and what I thought right after that and what has been typical of me, my entire Blazer fandom, which is the rule is to have low expectations so you can be happy when they over. Lower expectations. Yeah. Um, so with that, my question to you is, how far into the season do the Blazers need to go if they're gonna make a decision to go one way or the other? What what is that? What does that time period look like for you? Because they're almost a quarter of the way into the season, and while nothing is impossible for the, that crowd is out there, the likelihood of them continuing to be not very good stays very high. Uh, and by one way or another, let's be explicit here. You're talking about wh- when the Blazers decide if they're going to tank or not. I, I don't. Is that what you're saying? I would tank. Right. But I don't think the Blazers will ever really tank. I don't think Damian Lillard has that in him. Right. I mean, we're already seeing him. And so let's say commit to player development. Yes. Is our this the euphemism that we're gonna that we're gonna use? I think honestly, like with uh, knowing and we're watching the Blazers and how they've operated, I think that's the way they kind of have to sell it, right? Well, but the thing is, is it's actually like, I'm. you can you can hear I'm already halfway there. I'm like, I like There's watching these young players not. get better. Give me more scowl. Give me all the scowl, you, you know? So I, I feel kind of bad about that, but like, cause, because like you said, like Damian Lillard would never not, win or never not believe that his team couldn't win and i don't i don't you don't want to change that right and i like tamper with that at all exactly but i guess if you if i had to choose a date on which i think uh, things probably hinge i mean the schedule is just a nightmare and it just stays a nightmare so i guess rather than looking at the schedule for a date where they've won or lost a certain number of games i'm just gonna say december 15th because that's the day that they can actually start making trades and that's the day where they can decide do we give up somebody who is going to keep us afloat do we try to trade for someone who's going to be even better or do we make a move that signals that we are building for next year or so I, that's kind of you wait until the tra- i think there's another option there i think in my opinion the you trade wait deadline. until the trade deadline to like you, you make the determination that you're waiting until a trade deadline so you can get your best possible offer. Because I think I just it, yeah. I, I, I don't know it, if that's. Do you think that's too late? It may or may not be, and that's, that's or it may be decided those, by then. 
you may have to weigh your opportunity costs because if you make a move where you're more so making that move, not necessarily entirely focused on next year and the two years after that, but you're also looking more at this year, I, I think you have to realize that the the franchise that you're trying to trade with is probably going to smell some of that desperation on you. And that deal may not yeah. be as good December 15th as it might be at in you know February. I mean, if my expectations had been set correctly at the beginning of the season, I would remember that Yusuf Nurkic wasn't coming back until you know, around the trade deadline at the earliest. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I wouldn't have even known that Zach Collins was going to go down. So, I mean, it seems to me that it's kind of like they got to decide sooner rather than later. Also, because the two guys who were, you know, touted not by the team, but by other people around the team as the most, you know, potential with the expiring contracts, Bazemore and Whiteside, aren't exactly the playing like i mean i don't think their you know, performance is going to be as indicative to their trade value as much as their actual expiring deal is i get what you're saying okay good then i don't have to say it no 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 the, <laughs> the, fact, the, the fact that whiteside has been injured and underperformed and baysmore is underperformed does that drop their value i think the teams that would be looking to trade for them are not necessarily looking for them as impact players but more for the salary relief side mm -hmm. of things and the intangible or the the actual assets that would come along with them, whether it be players or protected picks going forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but we're but if the Blazers are going to turn that direction, they're certainly not going to want to be giving up any additional. Yeah, right now, and that's the thing. Imagine if the Blazers had made a move coming into this year, and they moved an unprotected first round pick for next season mm -hmm. or this upcoming draft. How many people will be crawling up the wall right now? And that's why you, you, you hear so many people who are so draft-centric who are like, you cannot move picks like that. Mm -hmm. You just, he, you, you can't do it. I mean, Damian Lillard was given to the Blazers because of that. Kyrie Irving was gifted to the Cavaliers because of, because of that. Mm -hmm. you, you, you have to treat those things like gold because you can get hit pretty hard if you don't. It's so interesting to me the amount of criticism that the front office gets as well as the amount of acknowledgement that they have done a lot of things right. <laughs> both can exist, Tara. Both yeah. I mean, both really do, but we tend to just focus on whatever's most convenient. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's no, like all – I mean – all of the, you know, railing against the moves that happened this summer that don't appear to be panning out right now, if the Blazers hadn't been, like I've, I've said it like four times already, you know, been preparing by having guys that are looking to be a part of the future or trading away picks. So it's like, I mean, it's like they can't win for trying <laughs> on the one hand, you mm -hmm. know, no matter what the front office does, they are going to have their critics. That's true. But again, that, and that's why I, I thought it was a little bit out of place to say that this season was a championship building, contending yeah. type team. That, that's why I, I keep going back to because of so many unknowns. Yeah. And now you can't predict, obviously, the injuries or anything, anything of that. But there was going to be inconsistency in this team. A lot of new guys and there's a lot of new moving pieces. And there's there's there were guys that you know obviously in Whiteside and Baysmore who were candidates to be moved at the deadline. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the messaging 
kind of portrays the reaction from the fan base that we're getting right now. Yeah. I, I also just think at, at, at that time, like going out and saying, yeah, we're going to make the playoffs wouldn't have been enough. You know, because at that time, the league has not been more open than it was back on media day of 2019, you know, with that, you know, with Golden State, you know, hampered with LeBron building new teams with Toronto losing Kawhi, all the things that happened in the offseason. I think a lot of teams thought that if if we're going to make a move, this is it. If this is, if yeah. is going to be the time for us to go all the way, this is it. So on in, you know, with that in mind, I mean, of course, they're they're out there to sell a product. That's that's what they do. So I, just, I it just doesn't seem that outrageous to me. To me, those things. To me, it does because even a team like the Clippers and the Lakers, the messaging from them wasn't title. Now, fan bases certainly, but the organizations, I, I don't believe that was out there. Mm -hmm. And then that's what that's where I think I differ a little bit because. I don't think you throw that gauntlet down unless you're a dynastic type team. Like you, you talk, you're talking about rings, you know, with a hard yeah. Z and then like if the Blazers, if this was, if we had fast forwarded to like this next summer and the Blazers had made all their moves and they were confident and they got hit with the injury bug and they had done that, you know, they had used that sort of messaging as far as championship and you were, you were set in who you, you were going to battle with kind of a deal. I, I don't think that would have bothered me in the least bit. Just that, that that's a you know a blank happens, you know you, it sucks. I think with so much up in the air coming into this season, I I, I was I was very confused by that move, but it yeah. it, it, it happened. But I, I think that's they're, I think they're kind of paying the toll for that as far as like the reaction that you're getting from the fan base. At least that's my opinion. Right. I think we're gonna we're gonna probably have to dis agree to disagree on that one. I don't think it's. I just don't think it's as big of a deal. And I can see you thinking that there's more repercussions than I can see out of it. That's me. I overreact. Yeah. <laughs> it's your move. It's, it's your my default likely go. It's your, it's your stupid, most likely going forward scenarios. Oh, yeah. those are going to be the end of me. No. This has been really fun. It's been very nice to talk basketball and to talk about like what actually is going on on the court. The Blazers, um, do you have anything else you want to say about any of, the, any of like Carmelo or the young guys or Stotts being on the hot seat? No, I'm honestly, like I said, I was going to get this team a month before I really evaluated the mm -hmm. offense because of so many different things. Like you, you can't evaluate the offense because I mean, you can, but it's going to be, well, this is kind of crap when Dame and CJ aren't both healthy and engaged and doing well, like mm -hmm. that, that's the, the end all be all right now. And we didn't really talk about Whiteside and the fact that he has tendinosis in his hip. And that's, that's something you usually associate with like 60 year olds. Like, I don't think that's going away anytime soon. Let's not forget Rodney Hood has got back spasms too. Damian Lillard's got back spasms. Like they're. <laughs> this is the, the young guys, Dan, they look great and I they're know. young. <laughs> this is what I was saying when I was trying to like not get into the whole inside baseball thing. How do you talk about a team that has so many things going against it and try to stay engaged and fully hopeful for the future while also admitting that right now they're not a very good team like it's saying right now they're not really a very good team but they got a got a lot of good pieces who are going to get a lot of playing time this year yeah, and, and I, you know I, what that doesn't mean they can't pull something and you not, know surprise us all it does not mean that it's again the, the likelihood of it and how you discuss that 
And I think that's, that's something I got into on, on Twitter today. And that's like how you talk about things and, and knowing maybe you don't have every single piece of the puzzle to really know what's going on. I don't have every piece. You don't have every piece of the puzzle. To like to to operate on on certainties of, of things, I, I think it's it's a little bit of a weird position to be in. So are you, many things that are that are open right now. So it sounds like what you're saying is if if fans are like wondering about things that are happening that don't make sense, it might be that we just don't know the whole story. Yes, very much so. That's, that's a great way to put it. Like if you're wondering why Carmelo Anthony is getting so many minutes and why he's starting over somebody else, there's why he's getting so many shots. There's probably a reason for it. Mm-hmm. You may not agree with that reason. Arguing against that reasoning, cool. I, zero issue with it. And you shouldn't care whether I have an issue with it or not. It's, it's my own personal thing. If you're if you're going to at least like engage with me on any social media or have questions, like understand that's that's the way that I look at things. That's the way that I frame things. It's something I learned over the last couple of years. Is that if someone doesn't make a whole lot of sense an organization that really has made sense. Like if it's, if it's the Suns for the past 10 years or the Knicks, it doesn't make sense because it doesn't make sense. God, we can't <laughs> even make fun of the Suns anymore. <laughs> That's what I said previously. <laughs> it's amazing what happens when you get. That's somebody... what we've become. Oh, oh, hey, Tara, remember me again. Where did Monty Williams come from? Uh... Yeah. Like, like you, you do have to give the Blazers organization a lot of credit for how they operate with things, whether or not you agree with, again, the micro situations, that's up for discussion. But as far as like the macro things, I'm not talking about player movement. I'm talking about culture and how, why they do certain things. I think they've gotten that pretty damn right. So it sounds like looking at this year, well, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but it sounds like you're not down on the team. No, you're a, you're thinking that the situation is stacked against the Blazers right now. They're not winning a championship. They're, they're not. They're playing. You think that they're playing pretty bad basketball right now. Yeah, I, I will lay this 100 percent out there. If this is Dan, the GM, if I am running this team, I find some way to get Damian Lillard on board with load management. If he's, if he's still intent on playing 37 minutes a night, fine, so be it. But damn it, I'm getting you off the floor for 15 games for the rest of the season. Uh-huh. I'm not going to let you burn yourself out in a season unless something in a player movement, a, a trade, significantly alters what is this franchise is going to do for this season. I'm not going to let you do that to yourself. Mm-hmm. And I don't care if you hate me for it. I'm not going to let you do that. And who knows? They could be doing that with him right now. We just don't know. Well, watching him play against the Cavs, I I don't think that's the situation yet. I know, but you know how stubborn you you got it. Oh, we don't know him at, at all personally, but I gotta no, think that he would be incredibly stubborn. Oh, you have if to told that this is we're going to do this. He will fight that yeah. tooth and nail, and it won't be till February where he finally admits, okay. I know. I I I, I don't disagree one bit, and I think that's to be the most difficult thing to do this season. Beyond that, I'm looking at developing the young guys, putting those guys in positions, and that's why I was so vehemently against the Carmelo signing because I'm not saying I'm like well, the, it's some kind of freaking oracle or anything. But two weeks ago, when I looked at this team, I was it was yeah. Do I overreact? Certainly, but I usually have a pretty good nose for how the team's playing and those changes that can or can't come. You know, with with December fifteenth being the, the the day that they can move for assets, they're playing bad basketball two weeks ago. That hasn't changed. And I don't think there's anything that's going to allow that to change until that period. And unless they find some sort of magic, the game getting healthy and CJ just going full Super Saiyan and 
hell, maybe Carmelo finds the fountain of youth, and they're able to get, I believe there's 12 games between now and, and December 15th. If they, even if they went six and six, they're 11 and 18. Mm-hmm. That's, that's still a bad record. Mm-hmm. That's nearly 30 games in. And you're seven. And that's going six and six on a real difficult schedule. Yeah, like, and, and it's not like, well, you know, they should beat this team. They should beat this team. They've lost in a game where Damian Lillard scored 60 points. They've lost to the worst team in the league in the Golden State Warriors. They lost to the, probably the second or third worst or fourth worst, if you want to put the Blazers behind them, since they lost to them. You know, the transitive property. <laughs> they lost. <laughs> we, we were doing really good with ending on a high note. So I, I, I know. I, dig I know. Too that, deep but, into that. That's why I wanted to tie this thing off. I don't want it to think like I'm, it's all sunshine and roses right now and everything's going to be okay this season. But there are certainly things that you can be excited for. You should be excited about as far as the young guys. But I think at the same time, you can also recognize that that those two, those two worlds are still colliding. That that decision one way or the other hasn't been made. But you can understand why, or can you understand why people are struggling with this? Oh, I know. I, I 100% mm-hmm. get it. In my head, I've already flipped the switch. Mm-hmm. Some people haven't. Some people flipped that switch the second Zach's shoulder went. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I get it. But I think, like, this whole idea that Terry Stott should be on a hot seat right now because of this situation is, is crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, like I, I can't begin to wrap my head around that. Now, if you want to not like Terry Stotts because you just don't like his system, you don't like his offense, fine, whatever. But if you're thinking that playing Scal five more minutes a game is significantly altering this or not playing Anthony Tolliver is significantly altering the situation of this team right now, I, I just I have a hard time taking you seriously. So it sounds like with the just the tenure that Stotts has with the team – it's a lot bigger than just how many minutes are those younger guys getting right now. Yes. Mm-hmm. Got so. it. We've gone on a long time yeah, I know. <laughs> about this, so we should probably wrap it up here. The Blazers have three week. games. They actually have only three games coming up this week. They had four games in each of the last two weeks, so um, this should be... I don't know, maybe a little bit of a break for them. Of course, they have to go have Thanksgiving in the middle of it. So hopefully they will all have a good one. Hopefully you will have a good one. And everybody who is listening to this will have a good Thanksgiving. I think what I feel like we covered on a number of things that we can be thankful for about this team, even though things might not be going very well right now. I think there's a lot to look forward to in the future. Um, okay, well, I'll, uh, let's go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, you can find me at TCB Biggs on Twitter. Of course, subscribe to the Blazers Edge podcast feed. You'll get the Blazers Edge po- weekly podcast. You'll get the Hoops and Talks podcast on Thursdays. And then I've been doing once a week some just little short previews with people around the league, talking to them about their teams. I talked to a woman um, from Chicago today about the upcoming Chicago games. And boy, a lot of that sounded familiar while I was like, I've got a flashbacks. So I was like, whoa. <laughs> but anyway, they're interesting. They're short. Um, and I've been having a good time doing them. So I hope people are listening and enjoying them as well. So why don't you go ahead and take us out of here, Dan? All right, folks, as always, you can find me on social media at DMarang, at D-M-A-R-A-N-G. Questions, comments, concerns, you want to yell at me or call me a jerk, feel free. Like I said, always, you wouldn't be the first. Uh, also, you can find me on every post game with Joe Simons on NBC Sports Northwest, uh, following every Blazers game, win, loss, or otherwise. Uh, 
Tara, do you guys have any what meetups coming up anytime soon? We sure do. We've got one coming up on December 3rd. I thought, so, I, knew, I, thought uh, I saw one on the schedule. Want to make yeah, so po- folks want to come watch Blazer Game with us. We're going to be at the McMinimans on Broadway. There's probably going to be some alcohol being consumed and a lot of tater tots getting eaten. <laughs> and, of course, misery loves company. Yes, yes. And we we're, we agree that we're going to be there for each other no matter what this season. So it's a, it's please come out and enjoy the game with us. We might cry a little bit. We might scream a little bit, but it should be fun. And you know what? That's why we're sports fans, right? We didn't become exactly. sports fans expecting that they were going to win every game, right? So we became sports fans because we're rational people and we expect the same thing every single time. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we're the most likely going forward scenario. Exactly. All right, folks. For Tara, I'm Danny. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you guys next week. Bye.